When the markets are volatile and even turn a bit ugly, that can impact the psyche of many investors. And while this isn't the first time we've gone through a period like this, 2016 may be showing us a more frightening road than last year. My argument would be is that the conditions we're operating in right now, the financial conditions, are significantly worse. So it just increases the probability that, yeah, this probably is going to be, you know, a larger drop and may finally be that 20-25% drop that you know many people have been predicting for the last two years. Hello everyone, welcome to Management Decisions. I'm Tim Muma. On this episode, we're looking at the decisions that investors will need to make here in 2016 as the markets have been, shall we say, a bit unstable in the early part of this year. To look at what could and should be done, we've enlisted the expertise of Les Zarka. He's the CEO, founder, and co-owner of Zarka Financial in Ohio. He actually has more than 30 years of experience as a financial advisor, and he's someone we'd like to go to to get the inside scoop on what exactly we can be doing in a situation like this. Les, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Great to be back. We have you on to talk a little bit about the market and investing and and what it all kind of means right now, because people are a little, uh, I don't want to say scared, but a little concerned, I guess would be fair. Well, what we're going through right now, the market's down about, give or take, about 14% um, you know, from our June highs we had of last year. So um, it's basically beyond what's called correction territory. If the market's down 10, you're in correction territory. Okay. If it's down 20, you're in bear. So we're in correction territory right now. Certainly not unexpected. I mean, if you look at what the conditions we're operating in under, I don't think anybody should be surprised that the market's down. Um, yet it still amazes me, you know, as we go through it, you know, you still get you know, a lot of people that are worried. And you know, like you said, I don't, you know, there's no one really panicking out there, but mm-hmm. there certainly is a lot of angst. Sure. And, and there's reason to be. I mean, you know, the news isn't great. <laughs> of course, the markets were down third quarter of last year, August, October, they were right. down. But they did bounce back at right. the end of the year there. Are you expecting kind of the same thing? Is this a similar situation? Are you looking at something different? What are you uh, projecting? That's actually a great question, and that's the $64,000 question. We had a similar drop in August of last year. We had another drop in September of 14. Both of those times, the market was down, you know, similar to where we are right now, mm-hmm. and then bounced back and moved on to new highs. So then the question then is, okay, so here we are now. Are we going to get that same outcome? You know, is the market simply going to bounce back, or are we finally going to see that 20 25% drop that, you know, many people have been predicting and, frankly, the market needs? You know, for the last two years, they've been predicting this. So the, the, the practical way to look at this is, you know, take a look at what the conditions were in August of last year and then a year ago in September, mm-hmm. and then compare them to where they are now. You know, so if the conditions are similar, then you'd have a pretty good probability that you'll have the same outcome that the market will just bounce back now. Um, my, my argument would be is that the conditions we're operating in right now, the financial conditions, are significantly worse than where they were you know, certainly in September and even August, which is only a few months away. Sure. So it just increases the probability that, yeah, this probably is going to be, you know, a larger drop and may finally be that 20, 25% drop that, you know, many people have been predicting for the last two years. So are there other factors that, I mean, specific factors you would mention to people as far as why potentially this could be that continuous drop, that larger drop? Uh, I mean, I know you alluded to the kind of the financial situation, but is there anything in particular you would point to? Well, there's a number. Um, you know, China's the one that everybody talks about, mm-hmm. and you know that's a significant one because they are the second largest economy in the world, and they are definitely in a world of hurt right now. And that has a ripple down effect because you know China's main business is selling stuff to the rest of the world. Well, the world now is in in you know getting into a global recession, so they're not buying as much from China. 
Well, that obviously has an impact on China, but it also has an impact on all those countries that were making a living off of selling natural resources to mm, China. Sure. You know, whether it's oil, copper, iron ore, you know, those kinds of things. And so those tended to be more developing countries, you know, the Brazils and, you know, South American countries, Russia, for example, sold a lot of oil. Um, so you're looking at this ripple effect really is what's concerning to everybody because it's not just China, it's all these other countries that are affected by it. So one big issue is this whole China slowdown. You know, then you look at, you know, the Middle East and you know, I would argue that the Middle East today is, you know, not that it was anything stable, you know, six months ago, but right. it's even more unstable because of what's happened with Saudi Arabia being a little bit more aggressive with their neighbors, you know, bombing into Syria. You know, they got into the fight, you know, with Iran. Um, so you know, obviously the big concern there is that if Iran retaliates and then shoots a few missiles into Saudi Arabia with the oil fields, you know, you're looking at, you know, potentially a substantial slowdown in oil supply. Right. So that's all an issue. And then so you're seeing these commodity prices collapsing. And that's why you've seen oil go from 107 to, you know, $27 yesterday. It's a 75% drop. Hmm. You know, you're looking at, you know, Mexico, Canada, Japan are in recessions. You know, the talk today is, you know, you're probably going to see, or at least a higher probability of the U.S. going into a recession. So you put all that together, and it's like it's—it's yeah, it's not a really—it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that the market's down. It just isn't very positive right now. Right. And so you tough through it. You know the prices will correct beyond where they should be. So when people get pessimistic, prices will drop below what the actual value is, mm-hmm. and that's when the buyers will start jumping in. You know, eventually. The question that is, you know, where's the bottom, and when is there going to be enough optimism for those buyers to jump in and, and finally call a bottom to the market? And I personally, I I just don't think we're near the bottom yet. Sure. Well, that is an interesting take on it, just the idea, as you said, that you don't feel necessarily we're near that bottom. So it will be very fascinating to see where it goes, you know, in the next month, two months, that kind of thing. So when someone does contact you and maybe just quickly asking about the whole market drop, what's kind of the first thing you tell them or or where do you direct them as far as are you trying to be optimistic? Are you realistic? Where do you kind of go as far as what you tell them? Well, I'm definitely a realist. I, I don't sugarcoat. I call them like I see them. There's really nothing worse than false optimism, hmm. you know, trying to sell false optimism to someone, because then what happens is if it doesn't happen, you've lost all credibility. Sure. Yeah, I've gotten a number of calls, you know, just over the last couple of days. And again, there's no panic, but there's certainly concerns. Right. So they're like, well, you know, what do you think we should do less? You know, the first thing I tell them is when you're getting ready for a drop like this, how did you prepare for it? If you've already cut back your stock holdings, unless you only have 25% or 30% in stocks, then that's a very different situation than someone that's still sitting in 90% stocks. So if someone calls in, the first question I'll ask is, well, how much do you have in stocks? Mm-hmm. Well, I have 25%. Well, then you know what? You're probably in a position to just wait it out. You know, yeah, that 25% of your portfolio will go down as the market goes down. But then theoretically, you got 75% of the portfolio that, that you know, probably should hold up fairly decently. If you got 90% in stocks sitting here today, then I would probably, honestly, I would probably, you know, thin out a little bit and not have quite as much in there. Right. Because um, you're gonna, you're potentially setting yourself for a double whammy. One is that if you're 90% in stocks and the market drops, you know, let's say 30%, then pretty much your whole portfolio is going to be down 30%. And to make it worse, once you're down at the bottom and you see all those bargains, you can't buy any of them because you're already fully invested. Mm, good point. If I'm only 25% in stocks and the market drops 30, you know, so maybe I'm down seven, okay, eight. Well, I can deal with that better than 30, but more importantly, I got 75% of my assets that can go buy that stuff that's now on sale. And so it's how do you, you know, how did you prepare for the drop? If you prepared for it, then don't worry. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I mean, the market's going to go down fine. You'll, you know, your portfolio go down a little bit, but you'll have plenty of opportunities to make some really, really good buys. You know, there'll be some bargains that appear out of this. But if you're really heavily in stocks, I would be careful because this thing more than likely will get uglier before it turns around and it looks better. Do you get a sense of what percentage many investors are in as far as the stock market goes? Uh, I mean, you, you obviously 25%, 90% is a big gap there. I'm just curious if there's sort of a, I don't know, a similar range that they like to be in in general. What happened is, you know, again, if it's an older person, let's say that's in their 50s, 60s, or retired, right. you know, they've gone through two 50% drops, you know, 2000 and 2008. Most of those folks are not heavily in stocks. Okay. They're probably in that 25, 30, because they never really fully re-engaged in because they saw two 50% drops. So that's why if you look at it in this particular drop that we're going through right now, you don't see the small investors selling right now because, frankly, they never really jumped back into it mm-hmm. to any large degree. That's why they're not panicking. Okay. The volume of sales that are happening right now are institutions and sovereign wealth funds. They're the ones that are having to sell right now. So it's kind of interesting. It's, you know, mom and pop is staying relatively calm. It's the big boys <laughs> that are selling that right. are worried. The majority of the people that I see aren't heavily in stocks to begin with because they never got back in after the last drop. What we would recommend, again, it really is based on two things, your time frame and then obviously your risk tolerance. So if you're the type of person that doesn't mind taking a gamble, then, yeah, you might be willing to hold more stocks. If you're the type of person that wears belts and a suspender and doesn't go to Vegas, doesn't do anything like that, I probably wouldn't put much more than 20 25% in stocks. The world has changed dramatically over the last 15 years in, in, in terms of the stock market. It's much more volatile. Um, you, you really better have a pretty good threshold for pain if you're going to play in that particular asset class. And if that's not you, then honestly don't do it. It's, it's like if you go to Cedar Point, which is an amusement park here mm-hmm. you know, in Ohio, you know, they've got roller coasters and they've got merry-go-rounds. Right. And not everybody should be on a roller coaster. You can still enjoy the park. Just make sure that it's the type of ride that you can handle. I like it. I like it. I want to go back. You mentioned um, oil, obviously, being a big mm-hmm. part of all of this. Um, I've been seeing some quotes coming out of the uh, Davos at uh, World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. and, and that's something that keeps popping up is concern about the consequences of falling oil prices and, and are low gas prices good? Is it a positive? For people listening out there who might not understand, maybe they just think, hey, of course I like low gas prices because you know I'm pumping every day. All right. When you look at it from an investing side, uh, what's the perspective right now as far as the oil prices go? Well, when you see drops like this, the first question, I mean, obviously we like the fact that oil is down because, you know, any business that relies heavily on oil, obviously the input is cheaper now. Obviously Mm -hmm. as a consumer, it's good because gas prices are low. You have more money to spend on something else. So in general, you would say that I like lower oil prices. However, the second question you have to ask then is, but why is it down? Hmm. And the reason it's down primarily right, is that, you know, we're, we're seeing obviously a lot of supply that came on through the fracking, in, you know, especially 2013, 2014. So we had a lot of supply coming in. And at the same time, demand was starting to slow down. Okay. And so this, this last huge drop that we've seen in oil prices is more because of fear. Hmm. You know, we, we're definitely globally slowing down. We're very worried about getting into this global recession. So if that's the reason oil is down, that's not good. That's just a sign, of, a symptom of weakness of the economies globally in general. 
So that's why people are, are you know, very, very concerned you know, when we've seen this 75% drop in oil. It's because why has it gone down? Well, because globally we're slowing down, and that's not good. So you know, we're at the point now where if your oil continues to go down, frankly, a lot of this is going to be due to psychology selling, people just you know, panicking and throwing in the towel. I'm talking about the, the average mom and pop doesn't buy oil contracts, right. obviously. Right. But the large players do, the hedge funds and things like that. If they start throwing in the towel, then that's a sign of some serious problems. Hmm. Again, good to know. I think it's a, you know, a different perspective than a lot of people might get. So I appreciate you giving us uh, the information mm-hmm. there. Um, I did want to just give you kind of the floor at the end. Uh, I know you talked about it a little bit earlier. What are we looking at going forward this year? I mean, obviously, you have a ton of expertise in this area. Uh, as I said, you alluded to a little bit of what your thoughts are moving forward. But can you give us some kind of breakdown of what possibly to expect and from your point of view how big of a concern this should be as we go forward the next few months and really the rest of the year if you look at it broad term in a general term you know my gut feeling is is that i think this is going to get worse before it gets better Mm -hmm. the selling we're seeing now again isn't necessarily people panicking and selling it's the buyers not having any any real optimism to buy today so there's a lot of people out there that are buyers that will buy stocks but they're just waiting to see if they get a lower price so that kind of sets the table of, well, okay, so if the market does, does go down and we think there's some buyers out there, then it's just a matter of just waiting it out. Hmm. Okay, so that, that's kind of a positive thing. The problem is you have to go through the drop first. Okay. And I, I can only tell folks is that, you know, if you went into a coma at the top of the market and woke up at the bottom, investing would be simple. <laughs> because all, when you woke up, all you'd see are the cheap prices. Right, right. It's what we have to go through to get down to those low prices is what's so painful and, and keeps us from buying. So, you know, 2016, my gut tells me I think we're going to see this thing go lower. I don't think it's going to be something that gets dragged out. I think if it happens, it'll be quick. It'll be deep. Um, and then at that point, then the bargains are going to appear. And, you, and the buyers at that point, if they're sufficiently positive enough to start buying and nibbling, then then it's going to bounce back fairly quick. That's typically the pattern. You see a big drop, and then you have this V-shaped recovery, and then it kind of tends to flatten out. If that pattern holds, and you're 20 25% in stocks right now, you might want to just hang on and just be prepared to jump in at a time when psychologically you're not going to want to. Hmm. Because typically the best buys are when there's blood in the street, and, and psychologically you don't want to buy at those times, but that's when you kind of have to force yourself to say, okay, you know, I, I manage the damage on the way down. I've got, you know, powder that's dry. Am I going to take advantage of these opportunities or not? And the difference between someone who's a successful investor and someone who, you know, just hasn't really benefited from it is that we don't buy at the right times, which is when there's blood in the streets. And you know, when it looks so bad that the world's going to end, that's when you have to have the gumption to jump in. So 2016, we'll probably see this market continue to go down. And I would, my best advice would be is just keep a, a calm head. Don't look at your accounts daily. You'll drive yourself <laughs> crazy. And when it looks like the world's going to end, that's when you want to start buying. And I'm not saying wholesale. You want to just start nibbling. Find some good stocks in advance you know, that you're looking at or some industries and just be prepared to start buying you know, slowly and then just build your portfolio from there. Well, Les, uh, as expected, some terrific information and uh, and your perspective on it, I think, it is wonderful. And uh, if anything, people should take away some of the great analogies you have. The illustrative uh, perspectives that you give, I think, are, are really awesome, and I think it helps people understand what's going on. So I appreciate you coming on, sharing all of your inside information. We always do appreciate it. My pleasure, Tim. Anytime. That will do it for us here on Management Decisions and our conversation with Les Zarka, CEO, founder, and co-owner of Zarka Financial. 
If you'd like to get in touch with us about this or any of our shows, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at the LJN, and you can check out all of our episodes. Just search LJN Radio on iTunes. Thanks once again for listening. I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.